Keep within And when they say Look here or look There is Christ Go not forth For Christ is within you This is Greek Bible Study Session 16 We are reading the Gospel according to Mark And we left off in chapter 9 Yes, we left off was it at verse 30? It was 20, or, I think it was 29. 29. So begin with verse 30. I did want to start saying something before that. I wanted to at the end, but we didn't have much time. I'm just going to go to that right now. If you see what I'm sharing here, the two words inward and outward, those are very important words used from the very beginning of Quakerism. And they have various meanings, but I just want to start saying a little bit about that. There's a way of looking at the world in various dimensions, an inward and an outward dimension. And so often these words and words like them point to something opposite poles. Like inward could be something we would say that's in and outward is something out. Inward is inner versus outer interior versus exterior, inside versus outside, within versus without, internal versus external, mental versus physical, spiritual versus physical, spirit versus matter, or spiritual versus literal, mind versus matter, and then you even have mind that's something like an inward mind versus an outward mind where one's mind is more focused on interior spiritual things compared to looking at more physical outward dimensions. So I just wanted to mention that in passing now because I didn't quite get to say that last time. Okay, starting with verse 30 through 32. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want, that Jesus did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. Again, we keep on having new people join, and I hope it's not offensive to keep on repeating some things we've said in the past. Like I've said in the past, this word man, which is the Greek word anthropos, and it means man. Does anyone recall what the Hebrew is? Adam. Right. Adam. Adam. And that, that's the Hebrew, and it means man or mankind. And, of course, it's Adam, as in Adam and Eve. And Jesus calls himself often the son of man, that is, the son of Adam, or a son of mankind. Henry, I have a question. Uh-huh. Being as he was speaking to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people never said the word God, is, do you think that might be also some of why he said the Son of Man? No, not in this. Not in this particular. No, not here, no. You're bringing up something interesting, though, in the Gospel according to Matthew, which was still much more a Jewish Gospel in terms of its language, you often will not find the word God in certain contexts, and it will be substituted by the word heaven in Matthew, so that instead of finding this word, theos, you'll get this word, uranoi, which is the heavens. So the kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. And it's 
And that means skies or heavens. Something else I wanted to say about that, and I've just forgotten what. Oh, yes. Well, the singular is that. And that basically just means sky, heaven, in Greek. We borrowed that word, oranos, into English. Anyone recognize it? Uranus? That's right. It's the planet Uranus. So in Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, fairly often you'll see that the word God is not used. And, oh, I know what I want to say. And even modern among uh, Orthodox Jews, they won't use this word in English when they're printing something, writing something. What they'll do is this. They'll leave out the O because they don't want to write the whole word. And you get that today. Okay? Thank you, Henry. All right. Again, I think I've mentioned here, it says, Jesus says, after three days, he will rise. Again, when did Jesus die? Friday. Friday, about what time? 3 p.m. Right, okay. And when was it known that he was no longer in the grave? It wasn't three full days. That's right. It was early on the first day of the week, on Sunday. But you need to be aware that the ancient Jews didn't consider time in the same way we do today. Any part of a day would be counted as a whole day, so that even if it was just a couple of hours on Friday and then Saturday and a couple of hours on Sunday would be considered three days. Same thing with months and years. You leave, mm. go somewhere uh, in December of 2020, and you come back in January of 2022, that's three years. Otherwise, you know, you, if you don't know that sort of thing, you just wonder, how do, why are they saying three days? It was a cultural thing. And in my translation here, it says, he will rise again. Does anyone else have that? No. In the today's English version, it just says, he will, that's three days later, he will rise to life. Okay. Well, I have. In mine, he said, he will rise from the dead. Rise again. Mine says, he will rise the third day. One of the words to resurrect or to rise is this word. And it means to rise, resurrect among other meanings. But this prefix, the A-N at the beginning, that prefix means up or again. And in some translations, you'll get rise again. Well, Jesus didn't rise up twice. They just mistranslated this word because of the prefix. He was born, and that was the first time he rose. What do you think? No. No. If you remember in the Gospel according to John, Jesus has a discussion with one of the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus, and Jesus tells him he has to be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Well, that word there, again, is this same root, which means up, again, both meanings. And I understand it's also true in the Hebrew or the Aramaic of the time, too. We can say something, you know, start from the top, start again in certain circumstances. I'm just pointing this out in case you see, if you have a translation and you just wonder, why is it again? Well, the again shouldn't be there. It's, a, it's just an incorrect translation. Okay. And in 32, they did not understand what he was saying. That seems to be a frequent theme here that the apostles and the disciples just weren't understanding what he was talking about, especially where he's foretelling his crucifixion. Any other comments, thoughts? How do you pronounce anestemi? Anestemi. Anestemi, if I can get to it. Anestemi. Anothen. Uranos. Theos. Uranoi. Anthropos. Adam. Okay, any other comments? No? Yes? This is David Fink. 
I wonder what we make of this statement that they were afraid to ask him. Does that recur at other points? Can we get into their mind to infer why it might be too frightening to think about? Or I'm just trying to know what to make of that. The only thought that comes to my mind is that I think he's also perhaps already mentioned this at least once, if not more than once by this time, and they still don't get it, and probably they're just a little, are we dumb or something? They don't want to look dumb? I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it is kind of a somewhat strange. He could, have, well, he, could have, he could have made it clear to them if he had meant to. I mean, if he'd wanted them to really get it, he could have made them really get it. Well, no, I'm also thinking differently in terms of, I don't know what the cultural norms are for between a teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, and his disciples or students. It may just never have been proper for a student to ask that kind of question. I believe that there was a lot they did not understand at that time, but later the scales after he rose again and, and after they received the Holy Spirit, they understood. Their eyes were open, the scales fell off their eyes, and they were able to write about it in a coherent manner. But before, there were children still in, in understanding. They thought it was going king, It just seems to me it might have been unthinkable for them to lose their teacher. It was just too scary yeah. to think about. Yeah. I understand this passage is the idea that somebody could die and then be delivered from the dead was so unthinkable that they must have thought that he was speaking in metaphor or the idea that that could have literally meant what it said was just, they just couldn't grasp it. Well, also, I don't know about the uh, Aramaic or the Hebrew, but this word rise up, we think of it in terms of Jesus's resurrection, but it's a regular Greek word that means to rise up. It means to erect, like erect a building or restore something. So if there's something similar in, in the Aramaic he was using to speak to the disciples, what does it mean to be restored or to die and then be restored? Or There may have been some confusion there. I should also mention, for those who are fairly new here, the Greek word here for disciple is disciple, but the basic meaning of the word is student or pupil. How do you pronounce and, it in Greek? Mathetes. Uh, and at that root is the same root, uh, M-A-T-H, as you find in mathematics, mathetes. That same word occurs in modern Greek also. It's the vowels are pronounced a bit differently, mathetes. And of course, rabbi is Hebrew word for teacher. So Jesus is the rabbi, he's the teacher, and they are his students or his disciples. And even this word disciple comes from a Latin word, discipulus, which means student or pupil. It's unfortunate we use this word disciple because we kind of miss something there in, in seeing Jesus as a teacher and his followers as his students, that we, we learn from Jesus, something to teach us, especially when we think of Christ Jesus within us, that he is that guide, that spiritual guide if we are obedient and willing to understand and to obey him as students. I think I've heard that Fox's phrase, Christ has come to teach his people himself, is one of his most frequently recurring statements. Yes, I'm blanking where that occurs in, I think it's a speech that Peter gives in Book of Acts, where he's quoting the Old Testament. Does anyone know what I'm referring to? Mm -hmm. 
me just see if I can quickly find it here. No, that's not what I was uh, looking for. It's somewhere else. Um, we no longer need others to teach us. The Lord God himself will teach us. I think John 16, it mentions, however, when the Spirit comes, who reveals the truth, he will yes. lead you into all truth. Yes, that, that's another passage referring to the same thing. Right, thanks. Sure. Okay, any other questions here? Comments? All right, let's go on to the next passage. The comment is going to be back up with a chat. Uh-oh, oh, there it is. Here is, I just found this in Quaker Religious Thought by Lewis Benson, George Fox's teaching about Christ. And I was going to give you all a link. Yeah, there are some individual publications of Lewis Benson. Actually, in some of them, he talks about this very subject. There we go. You now, you now have the George Fox teachings about Christ, which is free on the web inside a journal called Quaker Religious Thought. All right, that's a periodical. Thanks, Mike. Welcome. Uh, okay, let's go on. Let's see, we'll read 33 through 37. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Capernaum basically was, do you all know where Capernaum is? Yes, I've been there. It, it's a ruin now. It's near the Sea of Galilee. Right. It's right on the west shore, correct? Yes. That's what my map shows. Yeah. And that was basically where Jesus was living during his ministry. He wasn't in Nazareth any longer, but in Capernaum. One other comment I find interesting is in 37, at the end where it says, whoever welcomes me, welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Of course, we're talking about God the Father. I really treasure this imagery of Jesus putting his arms around the child. And it reminds me of one of my favorite early Sunday school songs, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. First, let me hear how the children stood round his knee, and I would fancy his blessing resting on me. It's very tender, very personal, and warm. I, I remember reading something that this was somewhat unusual for someone to do this out there in public that Jesus did with, with children. This wasn't within cultural norms to do this, and yet he did it. I wonder if it was within cultural norms for people to argue about who was the greatest. <laughs> that, that may be universal, unfortunately. Also in verse 35, it says servant there. The Greek word for servant is diakonos. Our English word deacon derives from that word diakonos. And also the word dean, D-E-A-N, comes from this Greek word diakonos, which means servant or someone who ministers to others. As I pointed out in the past, this other word, doulos, is the word for slave. But if you look at a lot of translations in English, especially older translations like the King James Version or the Dewey Rames Version, the word servant also used to mean slave 300 years ago. 
So you'll get translations that in modern times where they'll use the word servant and you may not be actually knowing which word is being used in the Greek, diakonos, which actually means servant, or doulos, which means slave. And we'll see this again, of course. Just a comment on translations. Anything else in this passage? Okay, let's go on. Verse 38 through 41. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Henry, does it actually say in the Greek the name of Christ? I was just thinking... Does he call him? I wanted to say something about that, but let me just check the Greek here. I'm following along in uh, today's English version, and it simply says, whoever give, gives you a drink of water because you belong to me, and it doesn't have any okay. messianic connotation. Well, let, me, let me just read the Greek here. Right. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you are Christ's. Okay, that is different than what my translation is not translating that correctly. Because you are Christ's, because you belong to Christ. Amen. I say to you that he will not lose his reward. What I read originally here, I think that gives a very different understanding, and that's not quite right. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name. There's no word my here. I should also just mention this word name. I've talked about this before, but this word name in Hebrew, well, this is the Greek, anama, the name, is a Hebrew way of saying God without using the word God. Again, these circumlocutions, the name. I don't recall the word right now, but that's still true today uh, among Orthodox Jews. Um, we're over time now. I don't know if that matters. That's my next question. I think we can finish now because I think for some of you guys, it's getting fairly late. I have in my translation, whoever gives you a drink of water because you belong to the Christ will truly get his reward. So it doesn't say in my name. There's no word my here in Greek. Let me just go back. Yeah, well, this doesn't, this doesn't have my in there. Yeah, let me, well, hold on. But it does. For whoever gives you a cup to drink, a cup of water to drink, in name is all it says, in name, because you are Christ's, because you are of Christ, amen, I say to you that, he will not lose his reward. I would be interested to see if there are parallels in the other Gospels and whether there is a messianic claim in that particular statement. I'm also wondering if this is a statement that comes from a later understanding than what was happening at that moment, so that the writer, Mark, was inferring what was being understood, but wasn't said at that time, if you follow what I'm saying. That's, that's how I would read it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a big thing.
Anyway, so I think it is getting late for a number of you, so I'd like to thank everybody. Keep within, and when they say, look here or look, there is Christ, go not forth, for Christ is within you. And those who try to draw your minds away from the teaching inside you are opposed to Christ. For the measures within and the light of God is within and the pearl is within you, though hidden. This podcast has been a production of Ohio Yearning Meeting. It was hosted by Henry Jason and edited by Kim Palmer. The words to our music are from George Fox's 19th Epistle in 1652. The music was composed and sung by Paulette Meyer. Paulette's work can be found at paulettemeyer.com.